repent and believe the good news in the name of God who loves us, who once walked among us, and who spurs us ever on. Amen. So a rabbi and a priest and a duck walk into a bar. And the bartender looks up and goes, what's this, a joke? Do it. Good, good. That was a joke, guys. Listen, whenever, whenever somebody starts with somebody with a duck walking into a bar, that's your cue. It's going to be a joke. So it's a rabbi and a, a rabbi and a priest. Forget it. Just forget the whole thing. You better get your funny bones in shape because right after Easter is our, is our infamous joke Sunday, so you better get ready for that. So I've got a few more things for you here. Let me fire this puppy up. So Sid Caesar, Jewish, once said, the man who invented the wheel was an idiot. The real genius was the guy who invented the other three. <laughs> Milton Berle once said, a good wife always forgives her husband when she's wrong. <laughs> yeah, we needed another one there, David. These guys, it's a slow morning in more ways than one. Okay. Jerry Seinfeld said, I was the best man at a wedding. If I was the best man, why did she marry him? My favorite was from Gilda Radner. This is a little scatological, and I'm sorry, but I, I have to tell you this because it's so funny. So Gilda Radner was on Saturday Night Live, remember? And she was Emily Latella, who had a hearing problem. Remember that role? So she said this. She said, What's all this fuss I hear about endangered feces? That's outrageous. Why is feces endangered? How can you possibly run out of such a thing? And besides, who wants to save that anyway? <laughs> Jewish humor, all Jewish humor, self-deprecating, ironic, satirical, self-revelatory. I think of Woody Allen and, and all the great genius that he exhibited in his movies and in his stand-up. Jewish humor. And I bring it up today because the reading from Jonah, indeed, the book of Jonah, is really Jewish humor. This sense of Jewish humor, this, this sense of, of looking at oneself in a way that's both humorous and, and also um, revelatory, goes back way, 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 way back. It goes back even into the Hebrew Bible. The book of Jonah, for the people who heard it, was both ironic and satirical and hilarious. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So we get a little snippet today from the middle, but the book of Jonah, which is, is so unlike most other books of the Bible. In the first place, it's pure fiction. I mean, the, the, the literary genius of the writers of the early Hebrew Bible, if it's the book of Ruth, or if it's the book of Daniel, or if it's the book of, of Jonah, it's just literary genius. This was, this was a new genre in the whole world 
that they were beginning to exhibit, beginning to understand, beginning to use to both, to both enlighten our hearts, but also to enlighten our souls. It's such wonderful stuff. So listen as I recount a little bit more about the book of Jonah. Because you probably remember it, but you only remember the Pinocchio parts. So Jonah, if you remember, was considered a prophet. He's considered a prophet because God says in the very beginning, Jonah, I want you to go do something for me. I want you to tell the people something. What makes Jonah completely unique is that the people that Jonah goes to is not the Israelites. Jonah goes to the enemy. Jonah goes to the Ninevites, who live in, this, in the capital city of Assyria. Now, Assyria was the sworn enemy of Israel. Just a few centuries before, the Assyrians had come into Israel, completely wiped out the northern kingdom, and encroached very, very seriously and harmfully on the southern kingdom as well. The Assyrians just about wiped out Israel completely. That was very much in the memory of the people. So when Jonah hears God say to him, go to Nineveh and tell them that if they do not repent in 40 days, they will be completely destroyed, Jonah has to ask the question, what? Me? Go where? Now, lots of, of commentators and people want to think that Jonah was a coward. But later on in the story, we see that he was very brave in lots of things that he did. But what happened to Jonah was he just couldn't believe it. He just had a hard time accepting the fact that he was supposed to go to the Ninevites, who, of course, would not accept repentance in any way, shape, or form, ever. So what a useful, useless, futile thing to do. So imagine Woody Allen standing down on the docks going, Nineveh, the coast of Spain. Nineveh, the coast of Spain. Nineveh, I think I'll go to the coast of Spain, which is what he did. He got on a boat that was headed for Tarshish, which is, is the southern coast of Spain. Down there where there are beautiful beaches and, and wonderful things to do. And on the way, this huge storm came up and swamped the boat. And the boat was in serious danger of being completely capsized and all the people on board the boat perishing. Now remember that, that the only Israelite on the boat is Jonah. The rest of them are foreign guys, sailors from a different place. They believe in all sorts of different gods. They have all sorts of different things going on in their lives. Jonah is the only one from Israel who's on the boat. <coughs> now, as the boat begins to sink, the sailors begin to try to figure out what's going on. They throw all the stuff off the boat they can possibly throw off, try to lighten it up, and they begin to wonder if maybe there's something else going on here because the storm won't stop. So they begin to cast their lots, and the finger starts to get pointing towards Jonah towards Jonah just a little bit, and Jonah stands up and says, guys, it's me. I'm the problem. God told me to go to Nineveh, and I decided to go to Spain, and it looks like I'm the problem. But they keep talking amongst themselves. They're not willing to accept that. They're willing to, to dig even deeper to try to figure out what the problem is, until finally Jonah again says, believe me, listen to me, it's me, I'm the problem. If you get rid of me, you get rid of the problem. Throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. I'm useless. So they do. They pick him up and they throw him off the side of the boat, and down he goes into the, into the, the deep and dark and cold depths until he is actually swallowed up by a big fish. And the fish swallows him up and takes him back to shore, 
spits him out, and there he is, and where he's facing again is Nineveh. So off he goes. Now he realizes that he needs to go to Nineveh. With trepidation in his heart, with some reluctance, he decides to go to Nineveh. But he's going to do a good job of it. So he gets there. Now I want you to picture in your mind Jerry Seinfeld in his, in his running shoes and in his worn-out jeans, walking through the streets of Nineveh going, repent, 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 repent. And what happens is that beyond anybody's wild imagination, the king hears about this and says, folks, we need to repent. We all need to repent. So get rid of your fine clothes, put on the sackcloth, pour ashes on your forehead, sit in the cold hearth, and repent. And this is the really funny part. And then the king says, not only do the people need to repent, but the animals need to repent too. So he makes people put sackcloth and ashes on the cows and on the sheep and on the pigs. and on. There's dogs walking around the streets of Nineveh covered with, ash cloth, with ashes and sackcloth. Now, you've got to admit, the people who are hearing this story are roaring. They're just falling out in the aisles because the image of these animals repenting is pretty funny. So, after the repentance, Jonah gets really mad because, after all, he thought this wasn't going to work, and it did work. So Jonah sits down in a huff, and, and the sun's out, and it's getting really hot, and he's really thirsty, and Jonah says, I might as well just die. At which point in time, God has a plant grow up over his head like in a matter of moments, like, like that time-capsulated films, you know, where the plant grows all of a sudden, this big plant comes up, and eh, goes over his head, and he's completely shielded by this plant. And now he's happy again, because not only is he covered, but also God's on his side. But just a few moments after that, God sends a worm, and the worm chews the bottom of the plant, and the plant withers and dies, and Jonah's back in the sun again, completely uncovered, crying to God about what happens. And then God turns to Jonah, and he says, you know, you crying over a plant? A plant that only lasted a day? And you're giving me a hard time because, because I, I was worried about an entire people? Thousands and thousands of people who are my children as well? What's up? That's the end of the story. So we have this, this, this lighthearted, very humorous story on the surface and everybody's chuckling and everybody's having a really good time and everybody's ordering another round and thinking, you know, what's going to be next? But underneath this story is what's always underneath these jokes. It's always underneath this ethnic, this Jewish humor. And that's this underlying sense of, who are we? Because we're not like the other people. Because we know for a fact that we're not like the Ninevites. And we're not like the Jebusites. And we're not like the Hittites. Because we're different. And whether it's, it's Seinfeld or whether it's, it's Alan or whether it's Jonah, there's this underlying understanding that we are different. For some reason, in some way, God has called us in such a way that we're different. And that difference is not always comfortable. As a matter of fact, sometimes that difference can feel isolating. 
sometimes that can feel dangerous or frightening. We know for a fact that we look at ourselves in the mirror and we always know that we're not like the other guys. We're not. And what does that mean when you look at yourself and you realize that you're not like other people, that God has something different for you, that God treats you a little different, that all the things that happen to you and all the terrible things that happen to you, when, when, you're, when you're, your temple is destroyed, when, you're, when your faith is, is, is in shambles and ruins, when, when six million of you die in a holocaust, how can you not feel different? But what does it mean when you're called chosen and such terrible things happen to you? What's that all about? And the humor is there because it is the ability to look at oneself and laugh. To have that sense of, of, of self-reflection. and It's almost like the old saying, you might as well laugh, otherwise you're going to cry. But there's something even underneath that self-understanding of who the people are. And that's that sense that God will always be there with them no matter what. You know, the whale, the big fish, it, it, it wasn't there to punish Jonah. It wasn't terrifying like, like it is in, in Pinocchio in Walt Disney. It was self-revelatory. In the belly of the whale, Jonah got to find out who he really was. The hymn that Jonah sang in, in that dark, watery place was all about how God was there with him. And he knew that now, finally. No matter where he was, God was there in the belly of the whale. God was there as he walked through the streets of Nineveh. God was there underneath the plant. God was always there. And he knew it. And the people knew it. And what the story was all about was that God wasn't going to leave. It wasn't the God of second chances. It was the God of chances again and again and again. And no matter where you were or what you were doing, God was there. And God would be there. In the darkest places you can imagine, God is there. Right there. And God is is in the process of delivering you up on a sandy, firm beach. Because that's what God does. And that has kept the people going from generation to generation to generation, from the steppes of Russia, through the ghettos in Poland, to the ghettos in New York, to the streets of Reston. Because we are the people of God. We are the, the descendants of those very people, you and I, and if God would not leave Jonah and God would not leave them, God will not leave us. So no matter where you are right now, no matter what's happening in your life, however dark it may seem, God is there with you. God is there with me. And the, and, and, and the promise is, is the beach is waiting. It's just a few kilometers away. Always, always, again and again. And the second piece is what Jesus talked about in the reading this morning. Repent and believe. There's always the possibility of seeing life in a new way. Repent doesn't mean, as much as the book said, fall down on your knees and woe is me sort of stuff. Repent means turn around and look at yourself and look at the world in a new way. Repent and believe means that there is always another perspective 
to look at. There's always another way for us to look at the world, and however, however awful it feels right now, there's another way. Turn around and look again. Turn around, and there's life. Turn around, and there's love. Just turn around. Remember the movie, um, The Big Fish? One of my favorite movies from the last decade. Maybe you didn't see it. It was a movie. It was Albert Finney and Ewan McGregor and Jessica Lange, who's still, gosh, she's so beautiful. Anyway, um, it, it was this, this movie about this, this salesman, this man, who seemed to have invented an entirely different world with, with, with circus acts and with, and with wonderful people and with witches and with, with midgets and all sorts of people in this wonderful world. And his son wouldn't believe any of the stories. All his son would say was, you, you weren't there, you were doing something terrible, nefarious, you were having an affair, you were doing something, you weren't there for me and mom. All those stories are absolutely not true. But on the man's deathbed, as his son, his adult son, begins to get to know him a little bit better, and as those stories become more and more clear in his mind, what the son realizes is that his father knew something that he never knew. That there was a world out there that was beautiful and miraculous and loving and sharing, that everybody had a place and every place was beautiful and wonderful. And after the man dies at his funeral, all the characters from the story show up for the funeral. The great big giant and the tiny little man and woman and everybody in between, they all show up. It was real. Inside of each and one of, each and one of us is this life that's full of miracle and joy and circus, the trapezes and the elephants. It's all inside of each and every one of us, and God is calling it out. God will always be there. And we always have an opportunity to see our lives and the lives of those around us in a new way, a miraculous way, a joyful way. God's just waiting under the surface for us to fall in. So Jesus said, repent. Repent and believe. Believe that God will always be with us. We always have another chance that life is beautiful. For me, for me, that really is good news.